And so uh, today we're talking about uh, the question for our series that we've uh, designed, uh, uh, asked this question. If God loves gays, as some Christians say, then why are some Christians so homophobic? And so realize that uh, this is a very um, important um, part of life, is to talk about human sexuality. And so it's with uh, real respect for um, you know, the way that God's designed us that we're approaching this topic today. And it's going to be somewhat unconventional because um, our, our goal today is not to take uh, like a particular stance for, against, or, or, any, uh, or kind of just pre- predominantly how the uh, issue is framed in culture and society. Uh, so the goal today really is to begin um, a, uh, uh, another step in our journey as a church towards being a community that uh, stands for truth and love. And so what we hope to do with this uh, sermon today uh, is to really launch out an attitude of embracing um, everyone and loving everybody in the name of Jesus and making the gospel um, uh, available to everyone who wants to hear it. And so that really is our heartbeat for today. And so um, I want to start out um, by just sharing a little bit because this is an issue it doesn't matter where you're from, if you're from like the deep south of the United States or from the you know, most progressive uh, country in Europe, that this issue of whether you affirm or not affirm same-sex, attraction, uh, same-sex relationships is a litmus test, right? So for some, it's a litmus test of orthodoxy. Like, so for in the church, uh, theological conservatives will accuse those who affirm same-sex relationships as being liberal or giving into culture. Right? And some of us grew up in those churches. Right? Um, the other side is that uh, it's a litmus test of justice and compassion. Those who are progressive and affirming accuse those who do not feel the same way as being hatred-filled and bigoted. Right? And so you get it from both sides of the spectrum. So um, as always, whenever you try to categorize people into, like, you fit in this category, or you fit into this category, or you fit into this category, uh, just... It's almost always, whenever you do that, there's always like outliers and there's anomalies. Uh, there are theological conservatives who um, love and embrace gays in a way that transcend traditional views of sexuality. They exist. I know some of you guys may not have met very many of them, but they exist. And there are progressives who embrace gays, um, but are perhaps as bigoted and hateful as religious fundamentalists. They exist, Right. There's no clean-cut category for how we talk about this, right? And so what we do is when we don't have conversations, what we tend to do is we tend to demonize the other. And so our biggest hope right now is to uh, bring down some walls so that we're not always having a conversation where we feel like we need to demonize the other. There is a sense in which you can have unity without uniformity. And so I think, uh, although that's not our goal for today necessarily, I think that's true. There's a way to walk in community with people that you don't necessarily agree with all the time. It would be foolish for us to make a 45-minute time block of trying to convince somebody to think otherwise. But the one thing that we do hope to achieve today is that uh, to introduce you to a community in which perhaps you could journey um, through whatever journey God has you through in a way that will take you to his heart for you, his heart for the world, his heart for the church, and in a way that at the end of the day, you will feel most comfortable finding your identity not in um, any kind of orientation, straight, gay, married, single, but you would find your uh, deepest identity found in Christ Jesus and what he's done. 
Here's the other thing. If we're not careful, regardless of where you stand on this issue, uh, there's a way where you may be right about something, but you're right in the wrong way. You ever met that guy? Like, yeah, I think he's right, but I just hate him. He's a jerk, right? And so there are some ways in which we can do that. Uh, the question that we're asking is, why, have, why are some Christians uh, so homophobic? And this question is being raised because it's true that in the, in the world of the church, there are very many people who are not just fear-filled, but are hate-filled people towards those who are same-sex attracted. And I just wanted to distill kind of like, you know, um, um, my thoughts about why in a sentence, um, actually more of three sentences here. Uh, but I think we've got it up here, courtesy and throw it up there. Um, and I think that homophobia is developed in me when I neglect the gospel principle for community, which says this, okay? That behind the community of Jesus, this is what we stand on. Humility, love, sacrifice for other, accountability, and restoration are all necessary to balance out the zeal for biblical morals and then also respect for someone's individual journey. You get that? We stand on this as gospel community. For us to do anything otherwise, guys, what we're saying is that you're required to be X, Y, and Z before you can stand before God as righteous. And that is not gospel. Gospel says the only way we stand before God as righteous is through the only work that Jesus has done on the cross. And so if we unify us around gospel community, then we must say that humility, love, sacrifice for other, accountability, restoration, these are necessary in order for us to achieve biblical morality and then also respecting everyone's journey along the way. A loveless response to same-sex attracted Christians or same-sex attracted people will ultimately end in fear of slippery soaps. Slippery. Soap is slippery. Slippery slopes and what ifs. If we respond in fear all the time, or if we don't respond in love, then we're always going to fear that if we go down this route, we're going to go down the slippery slope route. And I have very many friends who feel that way. If we open up the floodgates for this, then we're going to go and we're, it's done. We're, we're calling it quits. And that's not, that's, not, that's not true. That's a fear-based reaction. We have to lead with love. And that's why we chose 1 John 4 for our scripture reading today. Today's sermon is definitely going to leave you wanting in a lot of ways because it sounds like I'm just going to be preaching to the choir. So for those of you guys who aren't um, Christian or religious or you've, it's been a while since you've considered yourself a churchgoer, uh, it'll sound like I'm preaching to the choir a bit. And, um, and that's true, I am. Uh, because for a long time, the church has been shooting its own members of the choir. Um, and so uh, unless we really understand what we're doing to our own, it doesn't matter what we do with culture, right? It's kind of like the guy who travels around and he talks about family values, and yet his family is falling apart at home. And so uh, uh, really the, the focus of the message today is to say, how are we loving? How are we loving those who are same-sex attracted in the church. How are we loving them? For those of us who aren't Christian yet, uh, you're being led into a family discussion this morning. That's uh, a very important issue. Uh, yes, um, it'll, it'll sound weird at first, uh, but uh, in a ways, we want you to hear us how, we want you to hear how we talk about this. Uh, like, I think it's important that you hear how the church talks about this, 
because the media in some ways has given the world one way in which the church talks about this. And so I feel like it's important for those of us who are guests today, visiting because a, f- uh, a friend invited you, that you get a chance to hear how we talk about it uh, amongst this church, at least. Um, and this may actually help you to converse with other Christians as well. Um, but also, I'd like to say this, and I haven't met everybody in the room today, but I'd like to challenge you in how uh, to think differently as well. Because how, how much differently would you think about the church if you could imagine a church that does, does teach the Bible but they are radically devoted to loving and preserving the dignity of everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation. The passage of, uh, that Kelly read earlier, it exhorts the church to take care of their own. And it doesn't mean that like, you don't take care of other people. But there is a sense in which when you don't take care of your own, it doesn't matter what you say to other people, you lose integrity, right? And so John is very clear that you cannot say that you love God and hate your brother, you, you can't say that you love God and, the, and yet you hate someone who is same-sex attractive but a Christian. You can't. It is a contradiction, John says. You have to take care of your own. Likewise, you, you can't also do this. You can't say, I love God, but I hate those religious fundamentalists. <laughs> They're kind of like the uncle that you just, ugh, you're embarrassed of all the time. <laughs> it is not possible to say you, you love God but you hate the religious fundamentals. You may not like them, but you're not allowed to hate them, right? Um, so John is saying, no, it's not possible. Take care of your own. Take care of your own. Uh, Wesley Hill is a professor of New Testament at a school called Trinity School. And um, he's a conservative evangelical, so which means he's conservative about the Bible. He believes the Bible is the word of God, that it speaks truth. Uh, but he's also a gay man. But he's also chosen to live a celibate life. And he authored a book called Washed and Waiting, Reflections on Christian Faithfulness and Homosexuality. And he raises these points about the early church community, all right? Uh, The early church, church from first century, about their moral ethics. And he makes these three points. He says, viewed from the perspective of culture, in other words, the early Christians' actions were crazy. But viewed from within the worldview of Scripture and the Gospels, their actions represented the only rational option. And then he makes on the second point. For the early Christians, the story of God's work through his son Jesus provided that bigger picture from within which their strange, unnatural choices and actions were made. It was through the lens of Jesus that these people made Choices and behavior uh, uh, decisions that were very strange to culture. And then thirdly, he says, the Christian story proclaims that our bodies belong to God and have become members of corporate and communal body of Christ. So he's saying, when you come into the Christian faith, you, at the end of the day, and it sounds a little bit cultish, but it's not that weird. uh, At the end of the day, you really don't belong to yourself, that you belong to a greater whole. You've submitted yourself to something besides your own preferences. And so that was the way the first church walked and lived. It's very beautiful, actually, because it says in the book of Acts, they actually came together. They shared resources. They lived communally. They shared not only financial resources. They shared emotional resources to one another. And there was something about that. It says in the book of Acts 2, and and then God added to their numbers daily. 
And even though they were making strange choices and they were, they were acting in ways in which the culture didn't quite understand, because they stood on the conviction that Jesus takes away our sin, Jesus is the one who makes God um, satisfied regardless of the way that we feel, and that, that, that righteousness that only Jesus carries has become ours, that's changed the way they lived and thought about their life. Even though that was so strange to culture, every day, one by one, people were attracted to the way that they lived. And so what Hill observes about the early church is this. Number one, that the truth of the Bible and Jesus was so real and it was so transformative that they were willing to believe and act in ways that went against culture. And so sometimes when you see the religious fundamentalists talking about, blah, blah, you know, all these other things on, you know, on, um, you know, Fox News or, you know, Sun Toronto, like Toronto Sun, like, you know, because they have, they put those guys up there, right? They put like the most redneck guys up there and to just like expose. And so in some ways they act really weird and then they say, oh, because the Bible says this, the Bible says that, right? If we could just take away the kind of the cultural noise of that and, and reduce it back to a very simple first century movement where people just actually lived simply and they thought that this man Jesus made a difference and they made different kinds of decisions and even the people around them, though they didn't believe the same thing, they were just strangely attracted to this group of people. And secondly, from um, Hill's observations, you can see that the same Bible and the same Jesus also created a community that's so beautiful that personal actions really truly do affect other people. So Christians can often put their own preferences aside for the sake of the other. It's kind of like when, I don't know if you ever do this, maybe it's not just not Asians, but it's predominantly among us Asians. When you go to the restaurants together, you say, oh, I'll pay for the bill. No, 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 let me pay for the bill. Oh, I'll pay for the bill, right? And the, you Koreans are really like, you, you Koreans really want to pay for the bill. <laughs> I say, I will pay for the bill. <laughs> so, okay, right, I'm only Southeast Asian. Yeah. There's a way we live in which, like, we can always give up our preferences for the other. And that's what made Christian community so beautiful. And in a lot of ways, you may be right on an issue, you know, depending on where you stand on the issue. It doesn't matter where you stand on the issue. But you always are called to give up your preference. That's the way that we come together, right? So this is an in-house debate. It doesn't matter how far and how deep the church talks about this in culture and in public life. If we're not doing it right here, it just doesn't matter, right? There are two different views in the church about uh, same-sex relationships. The first view is the traditional one, that God designed uh, man and woman to, uh, uh, you know, to come together in relationships, and that, that was God's designed purpose for male and female. Now, this, this position doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that those who are same-sex attracted, that, uh, that God was not intentional and that God does not, is not aware but it does also support the idea that any kind of, um, anything that is apart from God's design is a result of the fall of man. And so although your inclinations and your same-sex attractions are not sin in themselves, the condition is a result of the fall. I would say also alongside of that, like baldness is a result of the fall. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying that kind of lightheartedly, but there are things about us that aren't necessarily sinful that are a result of the fall, a result of brokenness. It doesn't mean that if you have same-sex attraction that you are, in, a, in essence, you know, sinning by having those feelings. 
But this position does expound that these things root themselves from the fall. Like any other issue in, in life, anger, frustration, or not frustration, but anger, bitterness, any, anything uh, of, of those sorts, they're all rooted in the fall. So in Matthew 19, Jesus affirms this. It's important that Jesus affirms this because Christians, by and large, take their authority from the Bible, but also the way in which Jesus understood the Bible. Um, and so Jesus affirms this again in Matthew 19. But he also says this, but when we get to heaven, or when heaven comes, or after this life, he also affirms this, that there is no giving of marriage, uh, people in marriage, that there is no sense in which we will live in any kind of sexual relationship. That actually, at the end of the day, we all will be, although I don't think he's saying that we will not have gender, he is saying that we will not have sexual relationships with one another um, after, after, um, after this life. There's the second view uh, in the church, and it's a more progressive view, and that says that um, God has uh, designed the majority of people uh, to have uh, heterosexual attraction, but there is a, uh, you know, I mean, depending on which statistic you take, but there is a large percentage of people who are designed to have same-sex attraction. And oftentimes, those who are uh, Bible-believing Christians will turn to Genesis 2.18, and say that, see, right here in this passage, um, God catered a partner for Adam in the person of Eve. But for other people, um, that person, for other men, that will not be a woman. That would be a man. For other women, that will not be a man. It'll be a woman. And so God is fashioning. God is uh, creating someone specific for their needs. And so uh, actually, uh, a young man named Matthew Vines just recently wrote a book called God in the Gaze. And he's an evangelical. He's also a gay who um, is uh, living a gay lifestyle, and he affirms this. He believes in the Bible. He trusts in the Bible, but he also believes that God has um, a unique design for each person, all right? So um, what is the heart of the elders of Trinity Life Church? Um, I kind of, you know, was kind of like, you know, do we put a stance out there? And this is not our stance, all right? This is our heart. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like stances are very helpful, and I'll explain why. But let me help you understand what the heart is about uh, Trinity Life and the elders of our church. That we affirm the traditional view of sexuality and marriage as portrayed in Scripture. And we we also, I also affirm that the government can affirm certain things about marriage that the Bible may not affirm. But we still also live underneath the authority of the government. Is that, is that clear? Is that okay? Um, so we affirm the uh, sexuality and marriage as portrayed in Scripture. But we also believe that the gospel empowers and demands the church to love and live out community in such a way that both straight and gay feel embraced and have the same freedom and access to the gospel and to the gospel community. Like, we are charged to live in that tension. And it's a healthy tension, and we'll see why. But we, we are charged to live in a way in which everyone has access, that nobody is discriminated to hear the gospel, nobody is discriminated to live in gospel community. So I'm not trying to be vague, but I just want to show you how complex the issue can be. That it's important not just to come up with a stance. Why, why not just come up with a stance? Because the reality is this, that each individual person is different, and each one has a unique journey. Right. Um, I had a, a, when we lived in the States, and we had a, a Bible study that we would run for our church, we had a couple, Moses and Chris, join us. And I knew Chris. 
And Chris uh, built up the courage because he knew that, you know, we came from a traditional um, um, evangelical faith. And uh, Chris built up, you know, he, he loved me enough and he trusted me enough to say, hey, just to let you know, I want to bring my partner to the Bible study. and That's okay. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. And so Chris and Moses came into our home and they uh, ate our food and they hung out with us and our Bible study grew and everybody, I mean, we, you know, this is charismatic us. We taught them how to pray and how to hear God together and all those kinds of things. And it was very fun and exciting to see Chris and Moses. And it was very sad for us because they had to move away for job opportunities. But what really stuck with me was when, as they were leaving, Chris said this to me. Chris said, I wish we knew you guys were here before we made the decision to move. Otherwise, we would have decided to stay. This community feels more important for us right now than the job opportunities that lie ahead. So there are ways in which we can carve out community that though you don't believe the same thing, and me and my wife don't believe the same thing. All right. She's right on most issues where I'm not. But where you can still live together in love and mutuality and celebrate Jesus and the gospel. Um, I'm going to bring up a friend, but before I do that, I want to um, share something real quick about um, how uh, not all gays are the same. Not everybody in the LGBTQ community are the same. Um, there are those who have a liberal view of the Bible, so they just think the Bible is good, but not necessarily the Word of God, and they affirm uh, a gay, lesbian lifestyle. Uh, there are those who have a conservative view of the Bible and yet still affirm the gay, lesbian lifestyle. So like I said earlier, Matthew Vines, another name that you can look up is Mel White. Um, he actually used to be a speechwriter for George W. Bush, so just saying. <laughs> um, uh, there are those who consider themselves gay, lesbian, but affirm a traditional view of sexuality, and so they remain single and celibate. That would be someone like Wesley Hill, the guy that I was quoting from earlier. Uh, there are those who were gay and lesbian, but for various reasons have reoriented and have entered into healthy hetero relationships. Uh, I don't believe that that is the goal of the church, is to reorient people. Um, but I have met, and I do know that people have reoriented and have led healthy heterosexual uh, lives. And then there are those who are same-sex attracted, who have no attraction to people of, op of the opposite sex, but they don't find the label gay and lesbian to be helpful in forming their identity. And they usually have a traditional view of sexuality and they remain single and celibate. And so this doesn't cover that all, but I just want you to understand that this issue isn't just about two positions. That everybody has a very unique story. And the best thing that the church can do is instead of just coming up with a stance, although we're not avoiding the truth in which the Bible talks about this, that we need to have a community in which we can, we can walk with people individually on this. Ultimately, um, the most important thing for us to realize is this, that straight, bi, lesbian, gay, single married, uh, whatever, none of those sexual attractions is our primary identity. None of this is a sum total of who you are. The Bible advocates that Christ is our identity. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, I'm going to invite Minsu to come up here. Minsu, can you come up here, bro? Um, and could you guys grab those chairs and a mic for Minsu? Um, and as we're getting things set up, I want to uh, read a quote from um, Wesley Hill. And he, 
He's very honest in this book, and I do recommend that anybody who's interested in learning more uh, to read. And uh, he, he, he writes this. He says, in this way, I hope to send a subtle linguistic signal that being gay isn't the most important thing about my or any other gay person's identity. I am a Christian before I am anything else. My homosexuality is a part of my makeup, a facet of my personality. One day I believe whether in this life or in the resurrection, it will fade away. But my identity as a Christian, someone incorporated into Christ's body by his spirit, will remain. So I invited um, Minsu, who has been um, tracking with our church for the last couple of months and Actually, all of you guys have been tracking with the church for the last couple of months, being such a new church. And I wanted him to share um, a bit about his ministry that uh, he's getting ready to start up, that you're getting ready to start up with a team of people, and um, uh, actually kind of effectively now. And I want uh, Mincy to share a bit, because his ministry that he is uh, starting up is primarily um, uh, focused towards walking with people who are same-sex attracted um, within the church. Uh, but eventually probably even outside of the context of the church. So thanks for being here, bro. You're awesome to have you. And so uh, we've got some questions that I want to ask you, and if you can just kind of just, you know, go with what your heart says, uh, we'd greatly appreciate that. I wanted you to be here with us because of the ministry that you um, are getting ready to start, but I was wondering if you can just share with us um, the heart behind it and why why you felt like this is an important ministry. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... There are two big reasons why um, I have such a heart for people who are in the church and same-sex attracted. And uh, the first one has to do with uh, the part-time jobs that I held since I was 15. Um, I worked so many jobs, like an insane amount of jobs. So you could probably say somewhere, and I've probably worked there. That's how many jobs I've had. But um, through those jobs, I've just met so many different types of people uh, going through so many different types of things and pursuing so many journeys, whatever. And um, yeah, as a Christian, that was really challenging for me because um, I had to think, you know, when my, when my ideas of normal are a challenge, I had to reevaluate, you know, what does God think of this person? Um, how does the gospel apply in this situation? And so um, a lot of Christians that I knew, they ran from these opportunities to really get to know these people um, but for some reason, I loved it, and I became obsessed with it, and I just loved meeting all these new people. And um, yeah, for, for a large portion of uh, my interactions with people, I really got the opportunity to meet a lot of people who are um, either same-sex attracted or part of the LGBTQ community. Um, and so yeah, I, I've just really built a heart. Uh, that was one really big reason. Um, the second has to do with uh, my own personal journey. I'm a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction. And um, I think when you go through a certain struggle yourself, you naturally have this heart for people who are going through the same thing. So I think just naturally I feel this bond towards people who are same-sex attracted because, yeah, we share a very similar life story. Cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, so, I mean, being a Christian, especially, you know, if you grew up in church, um, uh, was it difficult for you to eventually get to the point where you disclosed to others, um, in particular other Christians and then other people in general, about your same-sex sex attraction? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the big reasons why I chose not to share uh, my same-sex attraction with people was, uh, one big reason was perceived rejection. Um, so through whatever environmental factors or cues or whatever, I just thought, 
if you were same-sex attracted, that meant you're like inferior to other people, um, you're an abomination, you're gross, you're, um, in my case, less of a man. Uh, and so if that is like the general feeling that I felt towards this struggle, why would I share something that would cast me in that light, right? So I just, the, the only thing I knew how to do was to really stay quiet and like build this like heterosexual veneer and play sports and be all whatever and um, just tried my best to not like have anything associated with um, same-sex attraction or, or homosexuality or anything like that and so um, yeah I tried my best to avoid all of that so um, the best thing I thought I could do was just yeah hide that struggle. How hard was that? Uh, it was really difficult. Um, <laughs> I had to like cover my tracks so much with Facebook. <laughs> I had to set so many different privacies and um, lie about where I went. Um, I had, there, was, there was just too much double life living. Um, that's bad grammar, but yeah, I really, I really had to live a double life. And um, it was really hard to not truly be myself with people and um, disclose. Like something that, that I deal with so personally and that's so a part of my journey, right? So that was really difficult kind of, I guess, being somebody else in front of other people. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think all of us to some degree, uh, uh, and you use the word struggle, and I think that's important to, to, to nuance a bit because uh, struggle with something doesn't always imply that that something is sin, right? Or that something is um, grieving God's heart. But the idea of struggle and shame is such a predominant one in the church in society in general, like the, uh, but in, in the church, because uh, for whatever reason, uh, the church has, like, you know, uh, placed people in the box and you should act a certain way. Um, as you begin to kind of, like, explore more about, you know, who you were and, and, and what you were feeling inside, like, what, what was it about people, mentors, relationships that gave you the freedom to begin to, to share what you were feeling inside? Um, so yeah, I, I came to a breaking point where I was literally like, I cannot keep this to myself anymore. This is not something that um, I can just go through my whole life struggling with by myself. Um, and so um, to be more authentic with Christian community, I prayed and I said, okay, God, please send me people. Please send me people I could journey with who wouldn't judge me, who would love me. Um, and so the first God sent was my sister. And she um, she journeyed with me from like since I was 15 years old. So um, like discovering that I had same sex attraction and kind of confiding in her, and she was like one of the first people I've ever told. And um, yeah, at the time we really didn't know what to say. We weren't really Christians back then. So she basically just said she loved me and she would she would be here for me. And um, radically, God intervened in both of our lives. Um, and so. We had to ask and journey together, like, what does it mean for somebody to be same-sex attracted and want to pursue God with, with all of their heart? And so, yeah, she was definitely, she prays for me every day. She still prays for me every day. And so, um, uh, yeah, her prayers are so crucial in my life. And um, slowly God started bringing me people. And um, it, wasn't, it wasn't like they were special cases where I said, okay, this is the person that I can confide in. But um, I had to take a leap of faith. And uh, one by one, I started confessing to my friends, like, I, yeah, I really deeply struggle with same-sex attraction, and I don't know what to do. And I, I'll say majority of them didn't understand. I, I think 
if, if anything, a lot of them didn't understand. But the beautiful thing about them was all of them were willing to understand. All of them were willing to learn what it meant to be a community with, for somebody who struggles with this. And like, I literally am looking around the room and so many people who have journeyed with me in this are sitting here and they played such a crucial role in, in my faith journey and they're still my community today. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, it was very much God intervening in my life, um, but it, it took some steps and, and, and leaps of faith and prayer to say like, yeah, this is gonna be my community. Yeah, you, you know, your, your family's here with us today. I'm really happy to have a chance. are highly offended by your Asian accent, by the way. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty good Korean accent. Uh, it's okay. You have to be more, uh, anyways, okay. we can talk about that later. More guttural, yeah. like come from here, right? More like you've just run the race and you're kind of like, yeah. Uh, anyways. So, um, uh, being, a, being a person, of uh, an ethnic person, like, was, did that add any dimension to any of the like, oh, yeah. anxiety? Um, I don't, like somebody rebuked me recently and said like, Everyone has culture, right? Every single person has a, a particular culture. So if you're white and you confess to your parents that you struggle with same-sex attraction, I don't think, um, yeah, I have this thing in my head that white people are like the most like forgiving and they're like, oh yeah, I love you, you know? But I'm sure like they struggle with it too, with that idea. But being Korean and um, struggling with same-sex attraction, like, uh, yeah, it is, it is so taboo. It is the, one of the most taboo things you can talk about. And um, yeah, there's a lot of shame based in it and there's a lot of guilt in it. And so um, you want to try your best to, to save face in front of people and not be, um, you know, bringing shame on your family or, or this and that. And so I think just indirectly, my culture just really played a, a controlling role in my life that I, I couldn't share because um, I would be committing social suicide in some sense, right? So yeah. So, I mean, that brings up a really uh, important point that I think other people from, uh, you know, who, who may not be Christians, that they would raise. And I, I want to set that up with this, uh, because uh, as I was reading uh, through Wesley Hill's book and, uh, and just talking with uh, my, uh, I have a friend who's a missionary who's also same-sex attracted. And um, it's so easy, because here are some of the things that I, I, I understand um, that, that it's, sometimes it can be very lonely. You just feel extremely lonely. Like, you know, especially the way that we teach about dating and marriage and stuff like that. For someone who struggles with same-sex marriage in the church, it can feel very lonely and isolating. You feel like you lack safety and patience from other people. You lack accountability, direction, and then just a, a genuine sense of friendship, um, I'm, I'm understanding. And so what's keeping you from just saying, you know, I mean, I can be Christian and just live, you know, a gay lifestyle? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I, I truly believe it was the work of God um, that broke into my life and showed me one thing um, that started this whole journey and said, I need God. That's, that's all it was. God, I need you. Um, he didn't say, Minsu, you struggle with homosexuality. You got to stop. You're a bad boy, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it was very much like, you, like I just need God so much in my life. Um, and from that um, desire and that need, I realized that um, pursuing gay relationships or being an active member of the LGBTQ community, something happened where I realized like, I don't think I could be led deeply into the presence of God in this community. Um, and that's what I felt. Um, it's not a judgment on them, but I just felt like 
that couldn't really contribute to this overwhelming desire in me. Um, and so what became so attractive was the church. And the church is messed up. Like, we're all broken people, right? So we're trying our best to be the community of God here. But um, in that, I found so much beauty in the fact that everybody in this room is broken, right? But we're all trying to pursue something together. And there's so, something so beautiful about being a community of broken people, acknowledging your brokenness and pursuing God amidst of that. And so, like, it's, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And that's what attracted me so much to the church and um, felt like that's where I found my hope and my, my joy. Um, and it is, it is hard. It's not easy, but it is something that um, I'm, journeying, I'm journeying through more and more with being a member of the church. Um, I guess to address that um, whole thing about loneliness and, like, marriage and whatnot, um, uh, I think celibacy is a whole other issue we can talk a long time about, right? But um, I'll only say this. I feel like we've gone to a place in the church where we've definitely idolized marriage and love. We talk about it like, like if I load my Facebook right now, somebody got engaged, somebody's having a baby, somebody is eating something good, right? Like those are the three, <laughs> those are the three top Facebook posts, right? And I'm not going to lie, like, when I look at two people, like, happy together and everything like that, you kind of want to see, like, oh, yeah, when, when is that going to happen in my life, right? But I believe singleness and marriage are both fulfilled states. If they weren't fulfilled states, then why would Jesus call some people into celibacy if he was calling them to incompleteness, right? So celibacy... Um, and marriage, you both need the community of God. It's not that when you're married, you're, you're, you're get set and you go and you're fulfilled completely. I'm sure if you talk to any married person here, they can say like, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so my thing with that is um, singleness is a complete state. If God calls me to it, he will give me the grace to find fulfillment in it. But this is where Trinity Life and churches in general, this is where you play a role. This is where I play a role with with people. We need to be community for not only the same-sex struggler, but whoever's single, whoever's married, we need each other. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Do not clap. I, I wanted to also share with our church, um, and uh, uh, the idea of celibacy is, uh, is one that I, I don't think we, um, we have not, like, made uh, legitimate, and we have not... Um, uh, lifted up to, to some degree, like it seems almost like this, like really, like you know, really weird concept. But I mean, for the most part, this is a this is an idea that the church we've been embracing for centuries and centuries, and not just for men who are committed to the ministry or to the monastery or nuns or or or, or, or that. But for those of you guys, I mean, I just made a, a list of of lists of the different kinds of people some in our church, uh, but others in different past experiences that have had to deal with celibacy and they're not same-sex attracted, okay? So what about the straight single who wants a relationship but nobody just proposes to him, right? Uh, what about the one who has boring and inadventurous spouse who finds themselves dreaming of greater and more fulfilling sex? More often, more often common than you realize. What about the one whose spouse is sexually incapacitated? I knew a guy who married a gal and lived together for six years before they ever had sex because she, her body was unable to, to, to handle it. Um, and what about the couple who has a broken sexual past and all that brokenness is imported 
in each time they have sex. And so they have to refrain, restrain themselves, practice celibacy to disarm the power of sex in their life. And so they can exalt Jesus in Christian community. I think these are such like very important topics for us to understand in the church. Um, and that we, uh, the only way we can do it is to not talk about it, but to journey together with it, right? And so I love it when a couple comes to us and says, man, this is where we're struggling in the area of intimacy. Uh, we have people where my wife and I, Lynn and I, we go to other people and say, this is where, this is where it's hard for us in our intimacy life. And we have to impose celibacy on our lives or abstinence for a period of time so that sex isn't this powerful thing in our lives that's driving our relationship all the time. So uh, we're running out of time, man, but can you, can you share with us, for those of us who um, feel same-sex attracted or in the church, what do you have to say to them? And then also, what's the goal of your ministry? What do you want to do? How do you help the church? Um, if you, uh, I don't know if we're recording the sermon, but if we're recording it, and, um, or if you're sitting here and you're same-sex attracted, the, the number one thing I would say is please do not give up hope. I'll be the first to say that, like, um, I've been burned by the church at times, and I know people who, um, you know, not not only same-sex attracted, but they've been burned by the church as well, and they just think that um, they could never um, find community here. They could never be loved for who they truly are. So the one thing I would encourage you in is that please do not give up hope. Um, there are people in this audience that I know who are willing to journey with you um, in whatever struggle, and since we're highlighting same-sex attraction, I know that there's people here who are willing to walk with you. And so sometimes maybe you need to teach people to be community for you, but the willingness is such an amazing thing. So um, place your hope that God wants to place you in an amazing community, um, and don't give up hope on that. Um, Curtis, you want to shoot that? Um, isn't this amazing? <laughs> Whoever made this is amazing. It was, it was Dave. Um, so, um, God has led me to start a ministry here in Toronto. It's called Deep Waters. And, um, what our goal is, is that we want to, um, empower the church to compassionately engage with people who are same-sex attracted or members of the LGBTQ community. Um, we want to give them the tools of what it means to journey with somebody in, in these struggles. Um, Another thing that we want to do is actively walk with people who are struggling with this issue. Um, we're just about gearing up to launch like a Bible study, a mentorship program, and a support group. Uh, that is hopefully, Lord willing, happening next year. Um, and so that's another way we want to do it. But ultimately, my heart and my hope in all of this is that um, when I was 15, I had no one to talk to about these things. And that really killed me. And so what I want to do is provide people with the place to start dialoguing about this. This is very much a very real issue in, in a lot of youth's lives right now, right? And so uh, we want to be a tool that God uses to bring, to kind of bridge the gap between same-sex attracted people, people in the gay community, and the church. Um, that is our tentative website right now, deepwaterscanadawordpress.com. Um, we are also launching an official website, and uh, I believe right now what we're passing around is a sign-up sheet. Um, there's also one that's going to be right at the information booth. If you want to partner with us in any way, whether it's financially, prayer, um, more information, a newsletter, if you are same-sex attracted and you need um, support in this, there's also that option as well. So please connect with us, and um, yeah. Cool. <clears throat> and just to make clear, I mean, Deep Waters... 
this is not a reorientation, reparative therapy. Yeah, we wanna we wanna not promise. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of history with organizations that um, walk with people and dangerously um, make these claims that after you come out of this, you're gonna be a straight man or a straight woman. We don't wanna promise that. Uh, what we wanna do more and more as an organization, and I hope with the church, is that we wanna lead people to Jesus, right? That's the goal, that's the hope of all of our lives, right? So. Um, as an organization, we want to lead people to Jesus more and more and allow him to do the work that he has designed for each person's life. Awesome. You've got an awesome team, so really excited about that. Um, if I can just do a, a quick plug for them, uh, Deep Waters is in, in its infancy stage, and so a lot of planning, a lot of need for resources. And so I really encourage you, if that sign-up sheet is not going around yet, if it hasn't passed you yet, um, to, to make sure that you sign up for that. Uh, otherwise, there's also one in the back. And a part of that um, is, sorry? Okay, or you can go to the website and sign up for their, uh, their newsletter. Um, but a part of this also is, um, you know, there's a financial need as well. And so uh, we want to be, uh, I really want to be as supportive as possible of Deep Waters. And so really, I just want to encourage you guys, you know, uh, Minsu is a part of Trinity Life Church now. He's, he's been uh, tracking along. And so one of our dreams as a church has been, how do we release people into the ministry that God's called them to? And so um, as the needs arise, uh, I just want to challenge Trinity Life Church to, to really um, also commit to supporting um, one of our brothers in the ministry that God's called them to. All right, so... Uh, hey, man, I appreciate you, love you, and I'm really excited for what God's got planned for you. So let's, let's uh, show him so we appreciate him. I want to, uh, Ben, you guys can come up. I'm going to close, and then we're going to move into communion. Uh, I want to... Imagine this. Imagine, um, imagine you had a conversation with God uh, before you were born, right? Before you were, like, born. And I don't, theologically, I don't think this is correct, but this is just coming with the story, right? So imagine you had a conversation with God before you were born, and, uh, and he said to you, for 60, 70, 80 years of your life, you are going to struggle with an issue that is going to be so difficult and so painful, and you're going to hate your days, and days are going to be long, and it's going to be, there are times where you're going to feel so shameful, and you're going to feel so broken, and you don't feel like you can turn to, to, to anybody. There are times when you're going to be tempted to just, to, to go with your inclinations. Imagine having that conversation with God, and just how, you know, I mean, you know, if, if, if that were me, it would be almost a disappointing conversation. But imagine God saying to you, but at the end of that time, I promise you, I promise you, that if you, if you continue to press in, I will give my spirit to you every day. And when the days are hard and even when you fail, even when you fail, I still will be pleased in you. And at the end of your time, that there is a guarantee that all of those sufferings will amount to an eternal weight of glory that will outlast 60, 70, 80 years. Imagine having that conversation that God promises you a resurrected life that will justify any kind of struggle that you're experiencing. And this is for anybody who is, it doesn't matter orientation, what, what your life struggle is. Imagine if that conversation God says, but in the end it will be worth it. How would you respond to that?
want to encourage you to respond with a resounding yes. I want to encourage you this morning that God is having that conversation with you right now. He is having that conversation with us. We sang a song earlier, uh, and I want to quote the uh, lyrics from it. It's so powerful. Because that tension between how we feel and what God wants for us is a very real one. You don't have to, it's not about orientation. It's about the human condition. That tension is very real. And that song we said earlier, it sounds culturally almost sadistic. Uh, can we put up the words to um, um, Though You Slay Me in the second verse? If you read these words, it almost seems like, like self-imposed, sadistic like uh, lifestyle. But he's writing from a place of tension in his heart. The life God's called him to live is hard and difficult. But in the end, he knows that it's worth it. The writer says this, My heart and flesh may fail. The earth below give way. But with my eyes, with my eyes, I'll see the Lord lifted high on that day. Behold the Lamb that was slain. And I'll know every tear was worth it all. And though you slay me, yet I will praise you. And though you take from me, I will bless your name. And though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. And though tonight I'm crying out, let this cup pass from me now. You're still all I need. You're enough for me. You're enough for me. And God, this song is drawing us into the invitation that you give to all of us, that none of us are enough in ourselves, that only God you would satisfy. The gospel says this, everything that you've ever done that would cause a grievance or bitterness or hurt or pain to yourself or to anybody else, that in Christ Jesus, those sins have been wiped away and in trusting in the work of Jesus you have a right standing relationship with God and not only that you are empowered to live a life that even when you fail God is pleased in you because of his son Jesus and I want to just gently encourage you today to trust in the work and the person of Jesus it's not your orientation that saves you. It's the work that he's done. God, would you give us as a community the power and the courage to move forward, to embrace everyone, to embrace everyone, embrace them with truth, embrace them with love, share homes, share meals, to share hearts, share lives, to share our mess-ups, to share our pains. Lord, some of us are just lonely. We're just lonely because of the things that we feel like we need to hide inside. Lord, allow this to be a healing community. Allow us to, as we walk forward with convictions of your word, that that would make our love shine even more. Where we need to repent and, and change the way that we think God, we're opening up our hearts and our minds to that. We want to live like you. We want to look like you. We want to love like you.